on the house or every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Come on around back, Arizona, Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour of Rosie on the house. Already the fourth Saturday of the month. And if you're following along in your Rosie on the House homeowner handbook, you know we have Farmer Greg talking urban farming, and our topic is new garden soil prep. Farmer Greg, you have a special guest with you as well. I do, and I'm really excited about this. This is Shoda from Tanks Green Stuff. He's the director of all things compost there, and he makes our Farmer Greg's planting mix, among many other uh, different varieties of soils that are just incredible, and I'll let him tell you all about that. Welcome, Shoda. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's an absolute pleasure to be on the, the Rosie on the House. I'm excited to get started and talk soil with you guys. For everybody listening in uh, the Phoenix metro area, Tanks Green Stuff may not be a household name like it mm -hmm. is in Tucson. Take a minute to explain the company and the right. business model and how y'all, I mean, have just continued to add product line. I mean, product line after product line. I, I was going through your website recently. I was like, holy cow. I mean, I remember the original bag composting, mm -hmm. but I mean, there's, there must have been 30 different options now. We have a lot of stuff going on now. We've expanded quite a bit. Tanks Green Stuff is a family-owned business based out of Tucson, Arizona. And it started out as a land reclamation company, purchasing up old aggregate pits and then refilling them with inert materials like asphalt, concrete, and dirt for land reclamation. Along the way, the owner of the company, uh, Jason, acquired a landfill and started a landfill recycling facility. And then when you own a landfill, you start thinking about, well, it's expensive to open this thing. It's expensive and even more expensive to close it. What can we pull out of our landfill? So started doing the regular recycling stuff. You look at cardboard, plastics, metals, uh, and we mostly focus on construction debris and landscape trimmings. And so then in 2009, 2010, he was like, we got to stop putting these landscape trimmings in our landfill and started tanks, green stuff, making organic compost uh, officially about 2011. And when we got into the business, it's hard to compete with everyone else that's in the business, creating the products, creating the bags, trying to get bags on shelves or even in the bulk market. And so we shift our focus a little bit to really nice organic army listed products that are designed to grow here in Arizona and work for everybody here and as well as other places in the country. But our, our goal with the tank screen stuff products is to create organic natural materials that are cost effective. Generally speaking, you're going to pay a little bit more for tank screen stuff products, but the value is going to be exponential. What you're going to get out of that extra two bucks or three bucks a bag is going to be a lot more. And so things like our cactus mix and our houseplant mix or our super mix fertilizer and our farmer Greg's mix, there's just a lot more to it, a lot more thought put into it. So it works better. It's easier to use. And that's kind of our, our whole thing. We also do uh, the recycling and landfill facilities. We do roll offs. And then we do a variety of landscape materials and aggregate materials like uh, AB, pea gravel, sand as well down in southern Arizona. Well, wow. it's great having you all on the broadcast and Farmer Greg. Uh, I know these soils are going to come into a big part mm -hmm. of today's topic when we're talking yeah. new garden soil prep. But first, before we get to the actual soil, we've got to start with location and I'll let you all take it from there. 
where you put your garden. The, the single biggest thing you can do to have your garden fail when you're setting up your garden is put it in the wrong place, right? Exactly, Jody? yeah. So looking around your yard, looking at the places where you might put a garden, whether it's in ground or above ground or a raised bed, just going out there and watching the light, looking at where the light shines, right? Generally speaking, you're gonna have a north side of your house, which is gonna be somewhere where you might not get as much sun. It's generally gonna be cooler. You might have something on the east side of the house, which is a great morning light, but afternoon shade. So that's kind of nice. You have your south facing exposure, which just gets a lot of sun all the time. And it's a great spot throughout the winter season, which is one of the biggest seasons here in Arizona. But it's really struggles in the summertime to stay productive, to stay cool, to be able to grow plants there without stressing them out too much. And then the west side, of course, is another spot where you get a lot of sun, a lot of good light. But again, it's really hot. North, south, west, and east around your house is one thing, but then you also have how does your house shade? How does your walls shade? That, that's the four different solar aspects, and we have to really pay attention to where the sun is at. My favorite place is on the east side, especially in the desert, because mm -hmm. an eastern exposure gets sun from sunup until noon and afternoon shade, which can be really critical for fruit trees and your gardens, don't you think? For sure, yeah. East is definitely one of the easiest sides to deal with. One of the things that I find throughout the year is that different garden beds produce differently. So there's some garden beds that do better in the wintertime, some garden beds that do better in the summertime, just depending on where the shade and the light can be. And so not all garden spaces, not all gardens are created equal, and it's definitely going to be a learning curve. One of the things I learned from Greg when I recently moved into the house that I'm in now is that I spent better part of the year just kind of paying attention to where the light is seeing where the shades at seeing what trees get in the way seeing what trees help before taking the time to spend a lot of money and effort into installing something permanent like fruit trees or a big established garden bed for the time being everything is movable to a degree where i can shift it and be like that did not work last winter because it didn't get enough light well and that's the thing about the sun Mm -hmm. The sun provides us two different things. It provides us sunlight and heat. Mm -hmm. And our job is to manage the heat down and manage the light up. Mm -hmm. And you know, and then and then it depends on you know what time of year we're talking about. Because a western exposure for a garden isn't necessarily bad, especially if you're growing it in December and January. Mm -hmm. Right, and then maybe a little extra heat or or radiated heat that comes off a wall is nice in the wintertime, but in the summertime, that wall could be the killer. Same with gravel and rocks, and so we're looking at microclimate and how sun affects the microclimate. So if you have a wall, putting it up against an exterior wall of the house or a backyard wall can create some shade. It can also create radiated heat. And so looking at all those aspects, and it's definitely a learning curve, and just taking the time to think about how that is and accepting the fact that you might not get it right the first time when you build that garden. It might not be in the right location for what you had in mind. Oh, and that's that's a super big thing, what you just mm -hmm. said. It might not be right the first time. Yeah. Uh, I gardened in Phoenix from 1975. That's 40-something years. And I arrived here and I did my observation and I put our first garden in and it was a total flop. <laughs> Yeah. And Zach Brooks over at Arizona Worm Farm reminded me, he said, Greg, because this isn't something I would have known. Mm -hmm. But he reminded me, he said, Greg, remember, your first garden is your worst garden. 
like, well, I have no memory of my first garden being a worse garden because that was almost 50 years ago. So <laughs> don't get discouraged. The whole point of that story is, is that the first time around, it may not be a stellar garden, but don't let it stop you. Yeah, and it, and it could even continue to be one year that garden produces well, and the next year the weather patterns are different, the planting times are different, the heat comes and goes at a different time of the year, and things just don't work out. So don't stress or overly stress about it. There's only so much you can do, and you can't control the sun or the weather or how long it stays above 100 degrees. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, and what, what I found in Arizona is that our, our growing season is like October to June, mm -hmm. which is very different than other climates where you take the winter off, really. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, Bob McClendon from McClendon Farms, uh, maybe eight or 10 years ago, shared with me that he's he doesn't grow in the dead of summer because of that. You know, he grows all year round other than in July, August, September. Yeah, it's the highest risk. It's the most work. It's a lot of heat, a lot of time out in the sun. And uh, yeah. when the weather is as beautiful as it is from October to June. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So there, so there's raised beds and in-ground beds, mm -hmm. Shoda. Let's, you know, let's kind of di differentiate what those are and the pros and cons. All right. So an in-ground bed, just like it sounds, is going to be an in-ground bed, which is in the ground. So you till the soil, remove the soil, add the soil, planting it in the ground. The perks of that is that's how we've been, as humans have been doing it for thousands of years, and it's relatively inexpensive. You just pick a corner and add some soil amendments like compost or our super mixed fertilizer or nutrients of your choice, put plants or seeds in the ground, and you're on your way. The cons to that are that here in Arizona, we deal with uh, Bermuda grass, or you might be in an area where you have pests like rodents that can get into an in-ground garden and absolutely decimate it over the course of a weekend. Um, and then we go into raised bed gardens, which are incredibly popular. I personally really love raised bed gardens for a backyard just because it's a lot easier to work in. You don't have to deal with the weeds or the Bermuda grass the same way. You don't have to deal with the pests as much because it's a lot easier to keep them out. And they're really easy to set up. And over time, with a little work, you can move them around or organize them where you can start small and just add to it as you learn more and more about your space. Now, the hard part about raised bed gardens here in Arizona is the, is the soil temperature and how as soon as we put soil above the ground in a container, we're exposing it on five sides and not just the soil surface. If you think about soil temperature in the ground, it slowly warms up in the summer, slowly cools down in the winter, and it's relatively consistent. But as soon as you put that in a raised bed container above ground, you are now subjecting that soil and that soil temperature to the drastic temperature changes we see here in Arizona. So that can kind of go back to what you were talking about earlier on mm -hmm. placement and microclimates, mm -hmm. making sure, you know, if we have a raised bed, it might have a little bit more shade mm -hmm. on the eastern side and that what we're planting in it are plants that can still flourish well, mm -hmm. produce a high yield with that amount of shade. Exactly. Yeah, and it's just something to keep in mind that different materials that you use to build your garden can have an effect on that soil temperature. And when you have freezing temperatures one day and then five days later, it's 90 degrees, plants might not be happy about that. 
It's the Urban Farming Hour with farmer Greg talking new garden soil prep and Shada, director of Tanks Green Stuff. Continuing our conversation about new garden soil prep as our topic for this Saturday with farmer Greg. We've got Shada, director of Tanks Green Stuff in studio. And you guys uh, talk through what is healthy soil. I mean, we've got you know, these great super mix, but is, is that ready to go and what's in it? So this here, our super mix fertilizer is our soil amendment and what goes into it. But before we get into what to put in the garden, let's get down with the basics of what makes healthy soil. And so basically soil is created of three different parts. You've got your inert material, which is your dirt, your sand, silt, clay, and rock, which we've got a lot of here in Arizona. That's mostly what we have here. Our, our soil is in Arizona is mostly like 99% dirt, right? Exactly. And most houses are built on imported dirt or bulldozed dirt. And so there's going to be very little organic material. And organic material is the next component of healthy soil. And that's going to be your compost, your carbon, your richness that comes into the soil. And then the last bit that makes it super well, the last component that goes into healthy soil is your living organisms, your microorganisms like fungi and bacteria, your macroorganisms like worms, create the three bits and pieces that create healthy soil. And all of that stays alive because of how it interacts with water and oxygen. And so you have your inert, your organic material, your living organism. And as long as water and oxygen continue to flow through that soil, your soil is alive and healthy. And that's what we're looking to create whether it's in ground or in a raised bed garden, that's our ultimate goal is to create that healthy soil. And when it's alive, is that what then helps your seed germination, your root growth? Uh, when you're growing organically, you're relying on that soil microbiology to pass nutrients along to the plants and create an ecosystem. So there's millions and millions of microorganisms in the soil. And our goal for a healthy organic garden is to create as robust of an ecosystem as possible because those are the little beings, little worker bees in the soil that are transferring nutrients from the soil to the roots. They're the ones that are buffering for pH in the rhizosphere or the root zone. They're also fighting off pests or diseases. And so the healthier your soil is, the better your plants are going to deal with stress or shock, or and then the better they're going to do with nutrient uptake, which means bigger, healthier plants and better yields of whether you're going tomatoes or flowers or whatever it is, the healthier your soil, the stronger your foundation, the better your crop or your garden's going to look or produce. Well, and it tastes better too. Yeah, that's a huge that's thing. The, that's the whole thing. When you have or, or good, solid, organic soil growing underneath the plants, the plants taste better because of the nutrients that are being pulled up out of the soil. Not just taste, but then those vegetables or those tomatoes are also going to be more nutrient dense than something that's been grown in a hydroponic setting, which is great because it allows us to grow a lot of tomatoes really quickly and be able to have tomatoes all over the United States all year round. But there is nothing like a juicy garden ripe tomato. Right. So in what kind of uh, living organisms are we talking about in the soil, Shoda? So we're looking at basically you have your bacteria and your fungi, and those are the, the microorganisms that we're working with. They're breaking down nutrients, breaking down the organic material we're adding to the garden. 
So whether you're adding compost in there, the compost itself is not necessarily food, or sorry, not necessarily nutrients, but compost is introducing beneficial microbiology like bacteria and fungi, and they're breaking that down and using that as food and habitat to then support your plants. And so a lot of the things we're gonna talk about and that we've been talking about is about creating the perfect environment for microbiology to thrive. And once you figured out how to get that to thrive, then the plants are gonna thrive and it's just that much easier. And so that's where the difference between organically growing and then using chemical fertilizers or pesticides or herbicides in your garden, which, you know, on occasion and sometimes there's no, there's no cost-effective or reasonable solution to do aside from using herbicides or pesticides or chemical fertilizers. Those actually can have a negative effect on your soil microbiology. And so having a robust soil microbiology can hopefully lead to a pesticide, herbicide, and a chemical fertilizer-free garden, which I know a lot of people are really, really trying to get after. Well, and that's, that's the big thing. Those chemicals, when you apply them to the plants mm -hmm. and the soil, they, do, they can negatively affect the soil biology. And when that happens, you're negatively affecting their, the soil's ability to grow plants, right? Yeah, or even fight off diseases. Say that you have a plant that's got a pest or a virus and you use a pesticide, you've now maybe killed that particular pest, but you've also weakened the plant's immune system or the soil microbiology to continue fighting other pests or other issues or to defend itself against other problems. And so the soil microbiology and foliar microbiology in general is like strong immune system. If you got a strong immune system, you're feeling good, you got good gut microbiomes, then yeah, you're gonna do better. You're gonna grow more beautiful, healthy hair, your nails are gonna look nicer, and you're gonna be living better. Same goes for plants. It's, I, I don't exactly remember who the first person I heard say it or how they exactly phrased it, but they said, you know, well, it doesn't matter what, <clears throat> if you're a farmer or a gardener, uh, you know, a, a tree grower, whatever the case may be, all, you're really not any of those. Mm -hmm. all, all you are is a soil cultivator. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's really the key. It's not, the, the, the soil's right, the plant will do it's mm -hmm. the rest. Your, your soil is everything. Exactly, yeah. It's, it's the foundation for all we eat, all we grow. And we're talking about new garden soil prep here with Farmer Greg and the Urban Farmer Now. Rosie on the house if you're just joining us from bottom of the hour news break it is the fourth Saturday of the month which means farmer Greg is our guest on his urban farming hour and we're talking about new garden soil prep and we've got a special guest as well Shoda from a tanks green stuff natural compost uh, made right here in Arizona huge different uh, number of product lines for cactuses flower gardens vegetable gardens I even saw y'all have uh, horse shavings for uh, horse stalls and trailers. Mm -hmm. uh, the first segment we talked uh, about raised bed versus ground bed. The second segment we talked about uh, creating healthy soil. Well, let's put those together. We also talked about location. So we got our location. All right, let's get right into it. So first thing we'll talk about is how to prep for in-ground garden. So you know where it's going. You pick the spot. It's time to get that gold-plated shovel out and break ground. Now, one thing to keep in mind is you got your little plot 
of land and we want to go through that and just have a look at it. A couple of things to keep in mind are, has anyone worked on a truck here? Is there any soil contaminants? The next thing to think about is, is there Bermuda grass? Is there yes. other weeds? Are there other seeds there? Something else we see pretty mm -hmm. common is in a master plan community, when you, the contractors are there, mm -hmm. you know, generally speaking, uh, when a concrete truck is done, if there's any leftover, you know, you could have some washout, mm -hmm. uh, you know, painting products, materials, there can be stuff left back behind by the mm -hmm. contractors that gets filled over in the grading process. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to figure out why the heck can't I grow? Well, two inches underneath where your garden bed is, you've got six inches of concrete that was left mm -hmm. over when they cleaned out the bucket. <laughs> exactly. So you just want to kind of familiarize, familiarize yourself with that area and literally do some digging and see what's there. There's no Bermuda hiding out that just hasn't popped up yet. Yeah, Bermuda is probably the most invasive thing that we have in the low desert. And I, you know, I get this question all the time, what do I do about the Bermuda? How do I kill it? Um, well, I did an experiment about uh, 25 years ago, and I used some Roundup very sparingly in the front yard at the urban farm trying to get rid of Bermuda. I followed the directions exactly, and six months later, the Bermuda was back, so that didn't work. <laughs> um, really, what you have to do is dig it out. You have to dig out the Bermuda grass. And what I used to do at the urban farm is I'd put a weed wall in place. That was a concrete footer that went down about 16 inches. And on the inside of the weed wall, I would just make sure that the uh, Bermuda grass stayed out. So whenever it showed up, I dug it out. So that that's our biggest challenge with growing food in the desert in our yards is Bermuda grass, I would say. Definitely, so keep that in mind as you're prepping the ground. And now that you've dug in the soil and you're a little bit familiar with it, it's time to add that organic material we were talking about, because we're just starting with the inert. The native dirt here in Arizona, in Phoenix, in Tucson, is generally somewhere around 2% or less organic material. And things like tomatoes or lettuce or spinach can't grow on that. So the first thing we're gonna add and incorporate is some compost, some organic material that's gonna introduce beneficial microbiology and that's gonna uh, introduce the carbon and food and a little bit of nitrogen just to beef up that soil. The next thing we recommend you add is some sort of organic fertilizer. Now we make the Tanks Green Stuff Super Mix Organic Fertilizer and that is a blend of compost, worm castings, heat-treated chicken manure, azomite, zeolite, laternite, kelp meal, and a whole bunch of organic ingredients. And the beauty of that is we're adding in not only a little MPK to get the plant started off right, but we're also adding in a whole plethora of organic and natural ingredients for the soil microbiology to feed on, to thrive on, and to create more nutrients for long-term soil health in that in-ground garden. And the, the first year, for me, is the only year I actually till. So what I, what I do when I'm doing an in-ground garden like that is I'll add six or eight inches of that on top and I actually till it in. Mm -hmm. And then in year two, three, four, and beyond, I'll just add you know, a half inch to an inch of compost on top or some kind of planting mix on top and just let it build on itself over time. Exactly. Yeah, so that first year, like a lot of people talk about no-till, that first year, we definitely recommend tilling. The organic material, when you lay it on the soil surface, just isn't penetrating deep enough. And so when you're prepping that garden, it's nice to get it tilled in at least six to 10 inches, if not deeper. 
at least with our compost and most other compost, we recommend if you're going to put three inches of compost on top of that and till it in, till it into six. If you want to do four inches of compost, till it into eight. What we're trying to get to is a 50-50 blend of compost and native soil or existing material in that in-ground garden. And that's going to be pretty critical for water, too, because mm-hmm. if you're just putting this great soil on top and you're watering it, it's going to soak right through mm-hmm. and the clay, your uh, your uh, inert material below mm-hmm. is just going to absorb the water and suck exactly. it right out. If you mix those and till it in, mm-hmm. it will hold the moisture there longer. Yeah. And then another big one to do and think about is that the the water here in Arizona is super salty and super mineral rich. And so whether this used to be a turf or just ground or you have concerns about particular contaminants, and one thing we recommend at the beginning of every gardening season is to do a flush or leach any contaminants or accumulated salts out of the soil. And so what I like to do with that is go compost, incorporate, flush, so we're flushing out any potential contaminants or accumulated salts. And then we go on with our supermix fertilizer or your fertilizer of your choice, adding that nutrients back in. And you've also given the soil all that water and oxygen to start thriving. And so that's kind of the the general in-ground prep is organic material, nutrients. You can also throw things like cocoa core or perlite in there, but that's more of the kind of the raised bed garden thing. Those are kind of the basics you need to keep in mind for in-ground gardens. One of the cool things at the urban farm is I, I grew food on that property for 32 years. And my front garden beds is where I grew most of my vegetables in the front yard. And every year I'd add an inch or two of compost on top. And a few years ago, I dug down 24 inches before I hit any, any dirt. So over the 30 years that I was there, it just built on itself over time and over time and over time. And I had two feet of healthy growing soil in the front garden beds at the urban farm. So it can, it works. Yeah, and that takes time to get there, but it, it's, still, it's still there and it still comes along. And a little bit of organic material every year and at the start is a good place to start. And so now we're gonna move into raised bed gardens. And that's where we get into some of the more um, complicated mixes or blends, because we're not just adding compost or native soil to a container and calling it a day. Exactly, but let's just touch briefly on the different things we can make raised beds out of. My favorite thing that I've been doing for a couple of decades is two by 12s, just untreated two by 12s. And people say, well, don't they rot? Well, yeah, they rot. And I found in the low desert, they last about 10 years. And for 30 bucks, you can put a four by eight foot raised garden bed in for the cost of the materials to make the bed, so they're super inexpensive. Mm-hmm. What else have you made beds out of, Shoda? A um, couple of my favorites that I've seen over the years are railroad ties. Now, those can be chemically concerning, exactly. um, but they are really big, really robust, and you get a lot of nice insulation. The other ones that are super popular are brick, just using whatever now, kind of brick you got. Let me ask you, because I, my container gardens are railroad mm-hmm. ties. Yeah. and and they're in rectangles. But when I did that, I lined the inside mm-hmm. with plastic all the way around just so that whatever was treated for the railroad mm-hmm. ties, you know, because they're wood set in ground, so they're yeah. very heavily treated and creosote just to keep, um, you know, them from rotting in place. Mm-hmm. Is that 
is there a different type of barrier or another barrier to consider between the their tie and the, the soil? I think as far as barriers go, that's probably the best bet. There's a lot of like lacquer or paint or different kinds of things that you can use, but those are they have chemicals in themselves. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I was thinking is something else to leach in. But with all the forever chemicals that are coming out now with plastics, I wasn't sure if there mm -hmm. was a different material, maybe like a hardy board or mm -hmm. something else to use. I still plain think old plywood. That would probably plain old plywood would be a good one. Just or just you know line it with some kind of wood or make sure it's untreated wood. Yeah, You're untreated, using wood. untreated wood. Mm -hmm. And then the most common one and most popular one we've seen as kind of raised bed gardens have really blown up have been uh, horse troughs or livestock tanks, metal containers, yep. right? And there's a company out there that sells ones that can be mailed to your house and you bolt together. And those are really nice. They look super nice. They're really hard for pests or rodents to get into. The downside to that, of course, is that they don't have a lot of insulation. And so... One of the things I like to do in a, in, a, in a horse trough or a livestock tank is to use some sort of insulation, whether it's on the inside or outside, just to create a little bit more R value, right, to minimize the drastic temperature changes in the soil. Um, like back to the railroad, I went to a customer's house a few, maybe a year or two ago, and he had new gardens that were in metal containers, and he had an old garden that was railroad ties. He's like, the railroad tie garden is growing just fine. This new garden I just installed isn't growing that well. I planted the same plants at the same time, and they just aren't going well. And it could be a number of things, but at the time, I took my soil thermometer. I stuck it in the railroad tie. The ambient temperature, I think, was around 70 degrees, and the soil temperature was around 62. And then I took that same temperature thermometer, stuck it in the metal raised bed garden, and the soil temperature in there was 69 degrees. And so it, the temperature in that metal container is fluctuating so much more. And when you're looking at roots and you see on every seed pack, it tells you the soil temperature in which to put the, the seeds out and in which they thrive. So you think about, well, if it can change from there to there in just the few hours that the sun's been up this morning, imagine what that can do over the course of a whole day or two days where you have 50 degree temperature change, which happens all the time throughout the spring here in Arizona. Yeah. Big time. And I, not to take over, but what you had mentioned was something I wanted to talk about. He had railroad ties and uh, horse troughs. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the neat things you can do with raised bed is the ag architectural elements. You can have mm -hmm. different elevations. Uh, you can have it against walls. You can have, you know, built off of each other. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be square. You can add a lot of design. So not only is it a garden for produce, but it's also a, a, a decorative feature in the right. yard as well. Yeah, it adds shape and it fills space in the yard instead of where it was just nothing you now have walkways and paths and different areas in which you can go and look at and so now that you're filling in that garden bed and we're going to add stuff into it we're looking at um, at tanks green stuff we make a product called the super pro planting mix and we also offer the standard pro planting mix now i'm going to hold you right there because okay. we can do a lot but we can't stop the clock and we're coming up to a break. We'll dive into okay. a lot of the elements of the soil. But in one final thing, Farmer Greg made a point to mention more than once, don't use treated wood. And you see so many people grabbing pallets, wood pallets, yes. trying to do composting and uh, raise, you know, hey, let's just use that for the raised garden. All of that is treated wood. 
You know, so that is not a great solution when you're looking at, at Ray's garden. So final segment with Farmer Greg and Shada of Tank's Green Stuff right after this. All right, in our final segment here, Shada, you were just getting ready to dive into uh, all the ingredients that are in healthy soil mix. And before, I, I got to mention this, ever since I first saw y'all's logo, the tree mm-hmm. man, he's creepy. But, he, but you guy. remember him. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like uh, the old man time mixed with a tree root. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he's actually designed by an artist down in Tucson. And uh, yeah. It, sure. it really gets the point across. <laughs> we actually have them on the uh, backside of our fruit tree mm-hmm. crew tr- T-shirts. Yeah, yeah. So that's Tank the Tree Guy, and we've also got now Bud the Dog, who's the mascot for our um, our special Bud's Blends. And we were just getting into what to put in a raised bed garden. And so at Tanks, we offer uh, two raised bed mixes. The first original mix. Uh, is called the Pro Planting Mix. And when we first developed this mix, we were selling a product called Garden Blend, which was just native soil and compost together. And we would recommend to every customer, add cocoa core, add perlite, add some fertilizer. It works a lot better. And the reason we didn't do that ourselves and we offered it as an add-on or addition was because we wanted to keep the price of the Garden Blend as low as we possibly could. The problem with that is that not everyone would be successful with the garden blend as is because we would recommend to add these amendments that not everybody would want to pay for. And so over time, we decided, you know what, we're just not going to offer the garden blend because not everybody can grow in it. And we want to make sure that we give as many people the opportunity or the tools they need to be successful in the garden. So instead of selling the garden blend, we scrapped that and we're like, let's just sell the mix with the recommendations that we recommend to everyone who bought the garden plant. And so we're taking the compost and the native soil, and to that we've added uh, perlite for drainage and aeration. We've added cocoa core and cocoa chip and cocoa peat, which are two different sizes of cocoa core. And at Tanks Green Stuff, we use cocoa core in all of our products as a peat alternative, because here in the desert, you're bound to forget to water your plants. <laughs> and when cocoa core dries out, you can rehydrate it over and over again. Where if you use peat in your soil, once you forget to water it and it dries out without surfactants, or if the surfactants wear out, peat never holds moisture the same way ever again. Just cannot hold moisture ever again because it is technically a kind of a living material. Wow, I didn't know that. That's uh, good to know. So that makes cocoa core mm-hmm. better for the low desert than peat yeah right, right exactly like there's arguably a, a, an environmental argument on why cocoa core is better but here in arizona it's just the fact that you can't rehydrate it and once you can't rehydrate it you have to replant it which means you're repotting stuff more often or you're adding stuff more often cocoa core also lasts a lot longer cocoa peat will last uh, two to three years in the soil. Cocoa chip will last four to five years in the soil. And both of those are giving us soil texture and feel and a lot of moisture holding capacity and uh, nice lightweight in the soil. And I just want to say here that we've talked a lot about building healthy soil mm-hmm. and you get what you pay for. So if you're buying cheap bag soil from a big box store, it's cheap. It's not going to grow great, not necessarily going to grow great food. So 
I today I just bought a three cubic yard tote of a, you know of planting mix for here in North Carolina, and it wasn't cheap. And it's gonna you know it's gonna grow good healthy plants. So just remember that when you're looking at a bag of soil, that's the best investment that you can make in your garden. Spend thirty dollars on a wood raised bed garden but fill it with really good, healthy soil. Would you not agree, Shoda? Yeah, if you're gonna spend the money in one place in the garden, it's gonna be on the soil. And so the next thing we're adding is the, the foundation of nutrients to the mix, which is our Supermix organic fertilizer that's gonna provide the MPK, the nitrogen, the phosphorus, potassium, as well as all the macronutrients and trace minerals needed to build that healthy soil and to create healthy, healthy, healthy happy plants um, in the garden. And so when you're looking for a raised bed garden mix, it's not about just adding compost. It's not about adding compost to native soil. You have to do a lot more to the raised bed garden or keep a lot more in mind because you're dealing with the additional stress of the, of the additional area that you have exposed to the ambient temperature or the heat or the sun. The other thing we highly recommend for everybody who's prepping their first garden is get on irrigation set the irrigation up take the time to do it hand watering in arizona you're going to either forget about it or you don't think you're watering as long as you think you are and the most common problem we see in raised bed gardens is salt accumulation so that's just where you're out with the hose and you think i put tons of water on it and you're watering three inches every day day in and day out over time you build calcium and other minerals and salt in that top couple of inches of soil and plants start to, to go into stress. And an interesting stat on that, on the first Saturday of the month, we have our farm fresh hour. And one of the farmers has said, depending on what uh, plot and vegetable we're trying to go, up to 40% of our water can be just to flush out the salts. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that's the biggest battle wow. here in Arizona in the garden is usually a salt problem or a mineral problem. Now, where can I find tanks green stuff? Uh, when it came out, like I said, it was Hyper-local to Tucson, but you've expanded. You've got some statewide uh, some vendors now that we can go find this great mm -hmm. local product from. Yeah, so you can find a whole list of retailers at tanksgreenstuff.com. You can find it at most of the local nurseries here in town, the Paul's Ace Hardware stores. And then, of course, uh, if you're in Cottonwood, you can get at Cottonwood Ace Hardware, the Sedona Ace Hardware, and then all the Ace Hardwares in Tucson, as well as the local nurseries down there. And, of course, from Farmer Greg, and if you want to carry our products or want your favorite nursery to carry our products, tell them to call me. Send me a message. We're happy to es get it out to everybody. Especially if you're on the west side, call <laughs> your local west side Phoenix nursery and say, hey, how come you're not carrying Tank's green stuff, man? Farmer Greg, look forward to having you next month. In March, you've got an interesting one here, journaling new habits. That'll be a lot of fun to talk through a garden journal here at the Urban Farm Hour at Rosie on the house.